You are listening to the Pursuit Church Essay Podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. It's been a minute since Pastor Karen and I have preached together, so I am so excited today to be able to do that with her. You know, I was originally, uh, God put this message on my heart actually a couple weeks ago, and I've really been ruminating, and, and he's really been, you know, here's, here's the thing about a, a great message. It always starts with a messenger, right? So God's dealing with me on this every bit as he, in fact, he's been dealing with me on this uh, as much as anybody. And so what we have today, but as getting back to, to the preparation is, I was thinking through this, I was originally going to preach this uh, by myself, but the more Pastor Karen and I talked, and just a little behind the curtain here, you know, Pastor Karen and I actually work on these messages together, okay? Uh, so whether she has been given something from God or I've been given something for God from God regarding what he would want us to share, we're also working together. As, as we uh, prepare those messages. And the more we began to prepare this message together, the more we both felt, now God, God has some things he wants both of us to be used uh, today in, in a way to communicate his word. So I'm really excited about what God's going to do. So let me start with this. Do you remember your first love? You remember your first, come on, go back. Some of you, maybe it was in fourth grade, fifth grade. I don't know when it was. For me, my first love was probably in the eighth grade. Her name was Maria. Here we go. Oh boy. (laughs) Man, Maria was in my eighth grade class. And I remember well our eighth grade dance that we had at the end of the year. So there she was, lights down low, music playing slow. Am I taking y'all back to eighth grade here for a minute? (laughs) And so I asked Maria to dance, right? She said yes. All right, so there we are, dancing in the middle of that cafeteria floor. And you know all sorts of emotions are going on, right? Butterflies, excitement, <laughs> the hope of what might happen. You know what I'm talking about, right? What are you talking about? Come on, y'all, y'all remember your first love? But you know, here's the thing. As it turned out, Maria would just become actually one of the many loves that I would end up having in my life. Hey, she would, not, she would not be my forever love. She was just my first love, right? Here's the thing. When you hear that word first, it can mean either position or priority, right? When you hear the word first. Maria may have been the first love that I had position-wise, but she was not going to be my priority love. After God, Pastor Karen is my priority love. That's come on, right. Let's, come on, come That's on, get right. for Pastor Kid. <laughs> That's right, Maria. <laughs> but what he's been talking about up to now is natural human relationships. But what about our relationship with Jesus? Or maybe the better question is, do we have a real relationship with Jesus? And you know, if you don't, and you don't know him like that, then there'll be a great opportunity at the end of this message to enter into that relationship with Jesus Christ. But the main point today, the main thing that we came here to say is that there is no love more important than the love you have for Jesus. Amen, amen. You know that word love gets used a lot, doesn't it? 
That word love gets used a lot. We say we love all kinds of things. We say we love our spouse. We say we love our friends. We say we love our kids. We say we love that movie, that food. You know, you get it, right? We, we, talk, we throw that word around a lot. And so one of the things I did as I was preparing for this message is I went to the dictionary. I went to other places that, to get a definition of what love is. And as you might imagine, I found lots of different definitions, lots of different things used to describe this word love. Here's what I found. First of all, love is both a noun and a verb. It's a state of being, but it's also a state of doing. So after distilling all that down, and what's beautiful is the definition I'm going to share with you of love was actually found in the last song we sang. So whoever, whoever wrote the lyrics to that song had this same inclination about what love really means and love for Jesus. This is, what, this is the definition after distilling everything down that we're going to use today. Love is active affection and devotion to something or someone. You're taking notes. Let me, let me say that again. Love is active affection and devotion to something or someone. And that definition of love brings us to the scripture that we came here today to share with you. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. And we're going to be talking about verses 2 through 4. Now, this is Jesus talking to the church of Ephesus, Okay. Ephesus was one of the biggest churches there were at the time. A lot of great stuff going on in this church. And this is what Jesus said to them. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, oh. When Jesus has a butt, you better listen. But I have this one thing against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Wow. What if Jesus showed up in your living room and said that to you? Man, be paying attention. You, so, you see, what we have here is Jesus commending the people for doing some things right. Remember, Jesus sees everything you do. He, he sees the good works that you do. He sees the good. I want you to remember that. But he's voicing a concern as well. He's calling them out on the most important thing. Okay? Now, you see, I want you to remember this. Elsewhere in God's word, it's very clear. There is no condemnation in Christ right. Jesus. Okay? So be, understand what's happening here. Jesus is not condemning them. When he says, I have something against you. Remember that. What's happening here, though, is that Jesus is bringing something to their attention that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. That's typically called conviction. Yeah. There's a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction is pointing something out, saying, you know what? That part of your life isn't quite where you, God wants it to be, right? Not condemning you. He's calling you, right? So that's what Jesus is really doing here. He's not condemning them. He's actually calling them toward him. He's not pushing them away. That's really good. That's right. Actually, he's inviting the church, his people, to remember what they felt when they first met him. Do you remember that? You know, as I was preparing this, I started thinking back of when I first came back to Jesus. 
man, all I wanted to know was who is this man? Who's this man that loves me knowing fully well all the stuff I had done and was still doing? Who was this man that could love me no matter what? And who is this man that loves me whether I love him back or not? That's That's all I wanted to do was know who is Jesus. He already had my heart from the moment that he told me, I love you, little girl, come to me. I forgive it. I don't care what you did. It's done. Just if you just receive me, I forgive you. He already had my heart in that very moment. But then it was about what do I do for him? And I know we can't do anything to ever pay back Christ, but that was my thinking in that moment. I was so devoted and so sold out to him. God, what is it that you want from me? And you know, the church of Ephesus, they probably had that same feeling when they came to Christ, when they first first met Jesus. They had given their hearts to him and they were fully devoted to him. But somewhere, somewhere along the way, they got off the track. They got off path. And Jesus, in this scripture, is asking them to come back. He's recognizing all of their acts of obedience, but he's asking them to come back and show him their devotion and their love for him just through their heart. He says, I know what you've done. I've seen all your good actions, but, but he's also saying, I know your hearts are no longer mine. They don't belong to me anymore. And he wants them to remember their initial devotion and love for him. Because you know what? He wants their whole heart. Yeah, that's so good. God wants all of our heart. And Jesus was trying to tell them what he's telling us today, right now. Actions mean very little if your heart isn't in it. Say that again. Actions mean very little if your heart is not in it. Real love involves the whole heart, the whole being, all of us. Real love involves all of us. Think about this. Have you ever been in a relationship where, you know, you just kind of knew down inside that the other person wasn't really in it? You know, like maybe they said and did all the right things, and on the surface it looked like, yeah, you know, they, they really care, but something deep inside of you, you knew that their heart really wasn't in it. And then later on, they ended the relationship. Well, it's because their heart wasn't really in it. Right. <laughs> when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are pledging our heart to him. We are asking him to come into our hearts and renew, restore, refresh, bring again life to it. We're giving him our heart. Real love always involves the heart, the whole being. And the reason is because Jesus wants us to know what real love is all about. So that we will know that the love we get in the world is not the same. Come on, that's good. So how do we know? How can we know what real love really looks like? And think about it. How do you know? Well, first... You have to be able to receive the love of Jesus. Receive the love that Jesus has for you. Absolutely. You know what? Uh, what does that look like, though? How, how do we receive the love of Jesus? What does that look like? Well, let's start with this. In 1 John 
This is what we're told. Talking about real love, right? This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's the beginning of real love. This scripture is so beautiful because it describes what real love looks like. You know, even if you don't know God, if you've never accepted him or his son, Jesus, he still loves you. Amen. He still loves you. And get this. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to pay for your sin, knowing that you may or may not ever accept him. Wow. That's the love of God. That's real love. That's love that just is, whether you accept it or not. You know, when I was dating Pastor Karen, there came a point when I knew that I loved her. There came that point. I knew I loved her. So the next thing then was for me to show her and to tell her that I loved her. But here's the thing. When I was doing that, I didn't know 100% that she loved me as much as I loved her. But I still told her that. But here's the thing. Because she was able to receive my love, she was then able to love me back. She was then able to love me back. You know, she isn't just checking off boxes of being a good wife, (laughs) what she should do. You see, I know Pastor Karen truly loves me because her actions, her affection, and her heart show me that she is devoted to me. And you know, receiving the love of Jesus is the beginning of being able to truly love him and experience real love. That's really good. You know, another way is to understand what love looks like to Jesus. That's good. Understand what love looks like to Jesus. You know, part of loving someone is learning what love means for them. In other words, loving them the way they want to be loved. Not how we think they want to be loved. Ooh, come on, say We're that all again. different. Good. Part of learning to love someone is learning to love them the way they want to be loved, not what we think they want. Right. You know, good. for example, Pastor Bob knows I like gifts. I like him to give me gifts. And I also like acts of service. Now, we've gotten to the point in our marriage now where I don't need him to give me a gift. I get what I want. I just bought myself a birthday present, as a matter of fact. I said, honey, thank you for the birthday present. (laughs) It's not till next month, but we're planning. Anyway, that's one of my love languages is gifts, but it's also acts of service. And so he will randomly, he'll be out checking on something at work, and he'll, he'll call me and say, hey, do you need anything from the store? Do you need me to pick up anything? And he'll even run errands for me, and that is love for me, acts of service. To Jesus, love is adoration. So good. It's adoring him just for who he is. Amen. Amen. And you know, the church of Ephesus was doing all the right things. They were serving others. They were um, being patient with one another, bearing up under trials for Jesus' sake, for the name of Jesus as Christians. They were speaking truth. They weren't talking false doctrine. There was no heresy going on. In fact, they were even calling out false prophets because they knew the truth with a capital T. They were doing all these things. So it's a little easy to misunderstand why Jesus was so upset with them. Yeah, they were obeying God. Absolutely. They were checking off boxes. 
Went to church on Sunday. Check. Tithed. Check. Come on. Served in the kids' area. Check. They were checking off boxes, and those things are great. Yeah, not that there's anything right. wrong with that. Let's, yeah. let's, let's be clear about that. Those are great things to do, and they are in obedience to God. But here's the deal. Their hearts weren't in it. They were just going through the motions. And Jesus knew that because, remember, God always knows our heart. It's because that they didn't do those things out of a true devotion, adoration, and love for God. They were just playing church that Jesus had that against them. Yeah, I think it's interesting that they were able to recognize false prophets, yeah. but not the true love of God. Whoa, that's good. Come on. They were, they were able to recognize false prophets, but they'd forgotten what the true love of God looks like. Yeah, that's good. You know, Jesus in multiple places in Scripture says that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yeah. That obedience again, right? And then he was also asked, well, then if, we're spo- if what we do is to show you we love you by keeping the commandments, then what are the most important commandments? And this is what he said when asked that in Mark twelve thirty. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That's what Jesus said is the, if you love me, what does the love language of Jesus look like? This is what Jesus says is love. This is how he wants to be loved. You see, Mark here is telling us what real love looks like to God. Not what we think it is, to God. It involves all of our being, including our whole heart. And you know, these these other works that we do, although they have some value, Isaiah put it very well Mm. back in chapter 64, verse 6. He goes, the works are nice, but at the end of the day, They're kind of like filthy rags in front of a perfect God, okay? God already has everything he needs. What he wants is your heart. Amen. And that's really, Isaiah was kind of saying it in kind of a crude way, to be honest with you. He said, yeah, these works are nice, and God wants you to do them, but when you compare it to what he really wants in your heart, which is your heart, it pales in comparison. That's 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 a nicer way of saying what Isaiah was trying to say. So here's the deal. We need to ask ourselves, why are we doing the things that we do? Is it out of obligation? Is it to make ourselves feel better? Or is it out of an overflow of the love that we have in our hearts for Jesus? Come on, man. God wants our hearts, our whole hearts. And that only comes from a deep devotion to him. In order to do that, we have to learn more about him, though. It's hard to love somebody that you don't know, isn't it? Yeah. So how do we get to know Jesus? Hey, if just a few quick things, we, we, we get into his word. Yeah. We learn in his word who he is. We learn what his character is like. Yeah. You know, it's the same way. Think about a special person in your life. Maybe it's a great friend. Maybe it's your spouse. Whatever, at some point, you had to spend some time with that yeah, person to get right. to know them, right. right? I wonder if that church in Ephesus, I wonder if that's what Jesus was saying. You know, I see you busy, busy, busy doing these things, and, and, and I want to commend you for them, but I wonder if they had stopped spending time with Jesus, if they had stopped their love affair by getting so busy with other things. 
If we want to grow in our devotion and love for God, we've got to spend time with God. Yeah. And what does that look like? I've mentioned a few things, but really what it comes down to is we need to reprioritize our lives. I think that's really what, what Jesus was calling the church of Ephesus to do. He goes, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot going on, but you've forgotten your first love, your first priority, which is me. Yeah. You know, we all have things competing for our time, our attention, our resources, our love. That's actually nothing new. (laughs) That's nothing new. In fact, that scripture that I read from Jesus in Mark was actually he was quoting an Old Testament scripture where God had told them, you are to love me with all your heart. He's just, hey, this thing is as old, this, this, this attention situation, this what are we giving our priorities to? It, it's as old as, as humanity. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Well, this is what Jesus said in terms of our priorities in Matthew 6, 33. It's not up on the screen, but you've probably heard it before. I'm just going to paraphrase. It says, seek first the kingdom of God. That's your first priority. And his righteousness. In other words, what he is saying is right. And all these things, these other priorities, he'll take care of those. Yeah. But our priority is building his kingdom first. So here's God's priority. God's priority is to love him and then love others. Plain and simple. Straightforward. God's priority is for us to love him with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength, and then to love other people. And going back to what we said earlier, we can when we can think of when we think of loving someone. But unless, when we're thinking of loving somebody, unless we demonstrate that love in a way that they can receive it, yeah. it doesn't mean as much. I mean, let's just, let's just be honest, right? It doesn't mean as much. Yeah. Now, one of my love languages is respect. I think for a lot of men it is, okay? Yeah. In fact, there was a whole book called Love and Respect, right? Women desire love, men want respect. You know, there's a reason that book came out. It was very successful because it's true. So one of my love languages is respect. So when Pastor Karen honors my place, honors me, gives me respect, man, she can pretty much have everything she wants. Y'all heard that. <laughs> I mean, she can pretty much. To that. Oh, yeah, uh, this is being recorded, right? So I'm, I'm sure at some point I'm, I'm going to have that put back. But, but w- that's my love language. And when I'm getting that, uh, pretty much she could ask me for just about anything in that moment. I'm, hey, babe, whatever you want. Because I know she loves me. And there she's demonstrating her love for me in a way that I can receive it. Yeah, so if God's word says to seek his kingdom first, what does his kingdom mean? We have to know what it means. What does that look like? It's really simple. It means building his church here on earth. And I'm not talking about a building so much as I'm talking about a body of believers. Building each other up. That's what scripture tells us to do. Because you know what? The church is God's number one priority. That's That's it. The church is his number one priority. It's called the bride of Christ. Remember, Jesus, God sent Jesus to die for the church. Jesus died for the church. That's God's number one priority. So if we want to show God love, devotion, affection, then we need to love his bride, the church, the church. You know, 
we can even go to next level and help build the church. That's right. That's good. It's like when you come to know God and come to know Jesus, there's always another level. In life, you're always growing. It's the same thing in our relationship with Christ. We come to love him, we come to love his church, and then we go next level. We start building his church, building the kingdom. That's his number one priority. That's what it means by seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be added to our lives. And the main thing, just so you know, the main thing that bonds and protects our marriage is our love for God and our love for his church. Yep. It's not about love as a feeling or an emotion. The only reason I even considered this mighty man of God as someone to even date was because I knew that he loved God way more than he would ever love me. And that's all I needed. Because you know what? When we love God more than anything, all the rest falls in line. There'll be hiccups. That's good. But it's going to come together. And I'm not saying we're all cupcakes and rainbows. I have a child sitting in this audience right now who will testify to that. Okay? But I love him. And our love for God solidifies our marriage. It gives strength. It gives a foundation. It encapsulates everything we do. Everything we do is because we love God and we love his church. And in expressing our love for God, again, we love his church. If you want a secure marriage, then you know what? Love God. Love his church. Spend your marriage loving him and building his church. That is called marriage security. And you know what? If you want your kids to stay on the right path, teach them the same thing. And teach them by modeling it. Kids don't have to listen to us, but they watch us all the time. Model it. Jesus told Peter how he could prove his love for him in one very clear, simple three words. Feed my sheep. Jesus was saying, Peter, if you love me, you keep saying you love me, take care of my sheep. Take care of the lost. Bring them into me. Bring them into the church. Teach them about me. Teach them how to live out my ways. Love my people, my church, care for them. This is what it looks like to seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm going to say this with love. Y'all, there is absolutely nothing in your life that is more important than God's kingdom, than seeking God's kingdom. And it starts with making God's priorities our priorities. So I just want you to ask yourself, and again, this is not about condemnation. This is not a guilt. No, no, no. This is the word of God very clearly. He said, seek first his kingdom. So let's look at that. Just take a minute and ask yourself, are there some things that have a priority in your life that don't really have an eternal impact? Think about that. Eternal impact. In other words, they're going to mean something on the other side of this life. Are there some things in your life Maybe they're just, you know, feeding your own desires, what you want to do, or maybe they're feeding your kids' desires. I know there's, as a parent, kids are involved in activities. Man, I had all these kids involved in all this stuff. Actually, I was strategic about that. Let me tell you my trick. Hold on. My little trick was get them all in baseball. That way you just had one place to go. Crystal's smart. She got that one, too. I'm just saying, are there things that are in our life that are taking more of our time than building God's kingdom? I'm not bringing, again, condemnation. It's okay to enjoy life and have fun. God wants us to enjoy our lives. Part of that is loving him and being devoted to him because he brings the joy. 
But if there are things in your life that are taking away from building God's kingdom, they're really just fluff. Yeah. You know what fluff is, right? Fluff. Fluff. What's that? (laughs) Well, not just the stuff in the pillows. Think back when you were in school, right? And you were assigned a paper to write. And so you had a length. Those teachers love to give you how many words you got to put in there. So what do you do? You start fluffing it up. You start adding all these sentences that don't really mean anything and just adding them in there, making them look good because you want to meet that length quota, right? That's fluff. (laughs) That's fluff. As a matter of fact, I remember very well a paper I wrote in college and got it back from the professor and out in, you know, teachers always use red ink, right, when they're giving you comments. (laughs) The word, this is fluff, (laughs) was right on my paper. (laughs) Uh, I remember that well. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's, I didn't know that. That's yeah. funny. Fluff. That's fluff. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Well, you know what? We can't fluff our lives up with things that will never save our souls, help our children stay on the right path, lead others to Christ. They don't have any eternal impact. If they don't, then we're fluffing. Come on. And what's the point of that? And you know Come what? On. If you've been doing that and you're just now starting to realize it, that's all right. That's okay. That's okay. It's never too late to repent and turn the ship around. It's never too late. Yes, that's good. You know, Mark 830 says, What will it profit a man if he gains the world yet loses his soul? Now think about what the soul is in our body. Mind, will, emotions. What will it profit a man if he gains the world yet forfeits his soul? Y'all, God is not a supplement. He's not a vitamin. He's not a vitamin. He's the medicine we need in our lives to bring healing, wholeness, reconciliation, restoration. He's the medicine that we need to live a truly meaningful life that has an eternal impact and demonstrates our love for God. Make God your priority. Make his priorities your priorities. And just see, just see how fulfilling your life will be. Because you know what? If you don't, you can start to drift away. Drift away. What, what does that look like? I, I want to take you back to the beach. I love the beach. Go back to the beach. And you're on the beach and you decide to go out in the water. You're out there in the water. You're splashing around. You're having a good time. Not really paying a whole lot of attention to anything else around you, right? You're just out there in the current, so to speak. Well, you look up, and the next thing you know, the beach was there when you went out, and all of a sudden you're over here now, and the beach is a lot further away than when you went out in the water, right? Why? Well, really because you weren't paying attention, but also the current kind of caused you to drift, right? Kind of caused you to drift, I want you to remember this. Distance can lead to drift. That's good. Distance can lead to drift. I'll tell you what I mean by that. You know, long-distance relationships rarely ever work. And they don't work with God either. Oh. Let me tell you what. Long-distance relationships don't work with God. In order to really love God, we need to have a close relationship with him. Yeah. Not a long-distance relationship. You know, have you ever had that relationship that used to be really close, right? You were close with this person, but all of a sudden just seemed to drift away. 
Usually distance was the beginning of that drift. You didn't intend for the drift to happen. You didn't really even want it to happen, but you got busy. Other things came up. You stopped communicating with them. You didn't invest in the relationship anymore. And all of a sudden, the relationship began to drift. And if we're not careful, that very same thing can happen in our relationship with God and in our love for Jesus. That's good. That's good. You know, I think that's a lot of what was going on here when Jesus was talking to the church of Ephesus. If you go back historically, the church at that time in Ephesus was growing. In fact, Ephesus was a booming city. There was a lot on the outside. It all looked really good. It all looked really good. In fact, Jesus even commended them for some of the good things they were doing. They were recognizing false prophets. They were enduring. Okay, on the outside, it looked really good. But you see, there was a drift that was starting to develop. Jesus knew the drift was there. And what he was doing was pointing out to them, hey, you're starting to drift from me. You're starting to get away from why you love me from the beginning and why you said you wanted to do the things you're now doing. And Jesus called them out on it. He reminded them of it. He said, hey, stay close to me. I'm the source of everything. I'm the source of everything is what he was really telling. And this is what I really believe he was saying to them. Your love for me begins and ends in your relationship with me. That's good. Say it again. I want to say that again because that struck me like a ton of bricks when God dropped it in my heart as he was dealing with me. Mm. Your love for me begins and ends in your relationship with me. That's what he's saying to the church of Ephesus. That's what he's telling and saying to me and to you. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 8, we're reminded that if we draw close to God, that he will draw close to us. JP, if you want to come. Let me say this. If you ever feel distant from God, remember, he's not the one drifting. If you ever feel distant from God, he's not the one that's drifting. It's true. God is always here. He's always with you. He never leaves. He never moves away. Scripture says that he's a very present help in time of need. Well, that's because he's always there. We just have to turn. We just have to turn to him. Because you know what? In God, there's no shadow of turning. There's no changing. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's not the one that drifted away. So to avoid that drift from God and to keep your life aligned with him and his priorities, just keep talking to him. Just keep talking with him. Pray and then listen. Pray and then listen. We know, right, all good communication is a back-and-forth proposition, right? One person speaks, the other person responds, back and forth. It's the same way with God. If we only tell God what we want or what we need or what we think, but then we don't listen to see what he wants to tell us, that's not communication. He wants to communicate with us. 
And, you know, absolutely call out to God. And when you need his guidance, that's what he's there for, to guide us and lead us. But don't forget to call out to him just to hear what he has to say to you. He's always speaking. God is always speaking. Are we listening? Are our ears in tune to hear him? Oh, God, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us. Just call out to him and then listen. And the other thing is, read the Bible. That's his word. It's not just an instruction book for life. I've heard that said before, and that's all cool. But it's a love letter from him to us. There's love all through that book. How he loves us no matter what. How he loves us at our darkest, in our darkest moment. Read the book. Get a translation that you can understand. You know, there's all kinds of translations out there. Get a translation that you can understand so that you know where to go when you're facing something. You know, there's an, um, a site online. It's called openbible.com, and I love it because it has a topical search bar where you can just type, type in what you want to know more scripture about. For example, if you're facing fear or trauma or anxiety, type it in. It'll give you all these scriptures that address that. The best way, the best way to develop a relationship with God and learn to adore him and love him and keep that love growing between you and him is to just draw near to him. You know, Friday night, the church gathered here. It was amazing. It was beautiful. The presence was so thick. It was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was here. He's always here. But you know, worship, when we gather together to worship and praise God, that's God calling us to worship. It's called a call to worship. He's inviting us to come. Well, Friday night, people came. We showed up. We gave to God. And you know what? He said, I see you. Here you go. And he imparted some things on people in here. There was freedom. There was chains broken, chains of bondage that had been destroying and upsetting lives. There were people that God said, go now. They stepped into their calling boldly, boldly. Lives were changed, y'all. And all because we came to him to adore him, to pour out at his feet our love and adoration, just like the song says. But you know what? It's never, ever too late to come back. Come back. God's word is true. It's yea and amen. And it tells us clearly that Jesus stands at the door of our hearts knocking. He's knocking. He's not busting through like the SWAT team. He's gently, patiently knocking. But we have to open the door. God's a gentleman. He's waiting for us to say, yes, Lord, come to me. I want to love you more. I want to pour out my devotion to you, Lord. He's knocking. Are we going to answer it? You know, will you just bow your heads? I want to pray. I want to pray for everybody here, and I want to pray for those who aren't here. Heavenly Holy Father, we just come to you now in the name of Jesus Christ. Your word is very clear that we can come boldly to your throne and receive mercy and grace. God, we're coming to you now 
with a boldness, asking for grace, grace and mercy, and help us fully understand what it looks like to love you and to devote our hearts to you. Father, thank you for the ability to do the things that a lot of us have been doing all these years, the good works that you do call us to do, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for the ability to do that. Thank you for the strength to do that, the endurance. But Father God, we're asking you to just enlarge our capacity and give us eyes to see what it is to truly love and devote our lives to you, Father. And God, I ask you to forgive us if we've drifted. If some of us have drifted, Lord, forgive us. Let your light shine to us, God, and point us to the way back. Because I know, I know you have mercy for us, Lord, and you're drawing us back. I know your word says that you draw us into you with bands and cords of love and mercy, Father. So we're answering that today, Lord. We're submitting it all to you, Father. Forgive us for where we've gotten astray. We've gone astray or drifted off, Lord, and draw us back in. Thank you, Father, that you've never left, that you're steady, you're the rock, you're still there. Like a rock at the end of a beach where the lighthouse is, you're there pointing your light, your light of hope, love, peace, mercy, forgiveness. You're pointing that light so that we can see it and run into that light. Thank you, Father. Help us. Help our feet get back on the right path to draw into you, Father. We love you, God, and we thank you for your spirit here. Thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts and our lives right now. We bless your holy name in Jesus, Jesus' mighty name. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.